Our reading from Acts this morning starts with the words, when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What was the it Peter saw, and whom was he addressing? Let's back up in Luke's story to get a fuller picture of what Peter sees. As we know, Jesus rises. He appears to various groups of people. He ascends. Then chapter 2 of Acts is all about the Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit came upon the 12 disciples and empowered them to preach, to perform signs and wonders, to live together in harmony and share their possessions, their food, their joy, their lives. The end of Acts 2 reads, Day by day, as all who believed spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And then we get to Acts 3, where our passage is found. Peter and John are at the temple one day for prayer, and a man who can't walk asks them for alms. Peter tells the man that he doesn't have any money. Peter says, what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man stands up and enters the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. The people at the temple are astonished. It's when Peter sees how astonished everyone is at this miracle that he addresses them. Pretty quickly, I feel pulled back into Good Friday. You handed Jesus over and rejected him in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. You rejected the Holy and Righteous One and asked to have a murderer given to you. Only a little over a week ago, we asked for Barabbas' freedom together, cried out for Christ's crucifixion. I feel it heavy like a weight. Good Friday is not a day of good memories for anyone in this story. Not for Peter, who remembers his own triple denial of the Messiah put to death. And not for the crowd who cried out for someone else, anyone else, a known killer rather than Jesus. Why would Peter start an exhortation this way? After Easter, why bring up Good Friday ever again? To accuse? To assign blame? I don't think Peter's goal is to condemn his hearers, to cause them to hate themselves or to bring despair upon them. In his commentary on Acts, Willie James Jennings points out that this reproach is part of an in-house conversation, a family dispute, if you will. Peter is, of course, himself a Jew, but he isn't family to these folks only in that sense. Paul will later refer to Peter as an apostle to the Jews. These people are in every sense Peter's own, own, his home and his mission field. Peter and the Jews he addresses here are bound up together. They share ancestors. They share thousands of years of breaking and keeping and breaking a covenant together. And they share a recent betrayal of the God who instigated that covenant. If there is no hope in Jesus for the people Peter addresses here, there is no hope for Peter and vice versa. But Peter has hope for himself and for his people. Peter urges the people to repent so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. At the end of our selection from Acts, Peter insists that God sent Jesus to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Peter's acknowledgement of the people's failure is for their being blessed, being refreshed, being made new. 
You may have killed the author of life, Peter says, but God raised him from the dead. Jennings' insights are again helpful here. He writes, quote, The point here is not the actions of the many, but the actions of the one. Now the actions of the one confront the wayward propensities of the many. We need not be mystified by the crowd or frustrated by their failures to act for the common good. Jesus has acted for them and offers his body as a way out and a way to be together. Peter tells the people, Jesus' body is our way out of the death we choose for ourselves. What we kill, God brings to life. What we give up on, God does not. Some of you may know Emily McGowan, a theology professor at Wheaton and priest at Church of the Savior. On Easter Monday, she wrote about the implications of Jesus' resurrection, saying, the scope of what's possible has expanded. We hear the Peter who denied Christ proclaiming him unashamed. This man who couldn't walk now has the power to leap for joy. And Peter and John, once unable to offer healing to others, have the power to do so. The scope of what's possible has expanded. All this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus offers his way, his, his body as a way out and a way to be together, as Jennings said. We've seen in this passage the way out of guilt, of shame, of denial, of untruth, of stagnancy. But how does Jesus' body offer us a way of being together? We see it in the way the believers interact with one another and in the way Peter interacts with his fellow Jews. It's remarkable, it's remarkable to me that Peter calls out his fellow Jews in their shared place of worship. His boldness seems harsh at first, but it strikes me as so loving. There is nowhere Peter won't take his hope for these people. We see on display the kind of faith that conquers the world, the kind we hear of in John's words from his first epistle. This is strange language that our faith that God should conquer the world. This wording comes to us from the same tradition that tells us God so loved the world. In John's gospel and epistles, there seems to be an understanding that there's the world in the sense of the creation God loves, and then there's the world in the sense of that which opposes God's reign and creation. God saves the world from the world. This is just another way of saying that God saves us from ourselves overwhelms our destructive efforts with his restorative efforts. Back to this faith Peter displays, the faith that conquers the world. Weirdly enough, it's the kind of faith that won't bring up the resurrection power without bringing up Good Friday. It's faith in a resurrected Jesus who still has wounds to let us reach out and touch. John's first epistle talks loads about God's commandment to love one another. Our passage from that epistle today assures us his commandments are not burdensome. We remember Peter's words from our passage in Acts that the aligning of oneself with God, God's commandments is refreshing. It felt wonderful to celebrate Easter together, to be in person with so many of you, and with hope on the horizon of being in person with many more soon. It felt wonderful to leave the formal investigation process in Lent it felt wonderful to welcome temperatures above 70 degrees. I had the privilege this week of having Violet Kemp point out to me the first violets to bloom in our neighborhood. 
One of my favorite Christian music artists, Chris Renzema, has a song called Springtime. The chorus proudly declares, death is dead and gone with the winter. Let hallelujahs flow like a river. We're coming back to life. The resurrection has felt palpable to me this week. So again, I wonder, why would Peter recall Good Friday in his preaching of the resurrection? The answer is in the hands of our risen Savior who signals our own impending resurrections. The answer is in his still visible wounds. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hands in his side, I will not believe. It's Jesus' wounds that bring Thomas to believe. Perhaps Jesus staged his death on the cross, or so Thomas might have thought, if not for those wounds. Put your finger here, Jesus invites. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. His wounds testify now to the resurrection. The marks that were signs of death are now signs of life triumphant. I've been thinking a great deal about how our church family might move forward with what was hopefully our last socially distanced Good Friday in our rear room mirrors, with an investigation behind us, with summer in the air. I want the power of the resurrection to change everything. Father Andrew said last week that there's nothing to which the reality of the resurrection doesn't apply, and I want it applied to everything. But I've been learning from Peter and from Jesus this week that testifying to the resurrection means showing the marks of our wounds, showing that what once were signs of death are now signs of life triumphant. Please don't hear me say that God brought harm and hurt on our community in order to showcase his glory. I don't believe the author of life would be interested in such a project. But I do believe that what men have intended for evil, God has intended for good. God's restorative efforts overwhelm our destructive efforts. The mark of the spear that pierced Jesus' side to verify his death now serves only to verify that death has died. Peter, who denied Christ, and the crowd who condemned him to death now serve to testify that the author of life lives. The same may be true of the wounds we've inflicted and suffered, the truths we've denied. The signs of sickness and death at work in us can be, and in some instances already are, signs that God restores life. Some of us today have been suffering a sort of chronic pain for months and months. Some of us are reeling from the end of the investigation and are just now starting to feel the pain, the way that sometimes a cut doesn't hurt until you see it's bleeding. Wherever we're at, whatever wounds we're suffering, I believe that in and through Jesus' resurrection, the scope of what's possible has expanded. Again, there's nothing to which the reality of the resurrection doesn't apply. There is no form of death Christ doesn't conquer, no wound that can't be healed in testament to who God is and what he does. So what are your wounds? Into what is God longing to breathe life? Where are you starving for grace? Which of your relationships need the intervention of the resurrection? Jennings gives us this word of hope. Now Jesus eagerly wants to take hold of the histories of people and bring them to a good end, which is a new beginning. He can take hold of their ambiguity, their pain, and their memories of horror and weave their stories together 
with the stories of others and give all people sight of a new creation and life eternal. All peoples have a new future in Jesus and each one of us have a new story to tell that changes the end we previously expected. I don't mean to tell you that God's work in our community, let alone in your own life, must look any certain way, but I do want to encourage us to seek God's desires for how we move forward together. There may be limits for what's getting healed this side of the second coming, but those limits aren't ours to set. I have to second St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, God is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. So friends, may we find refreshment in the body Jesus offers us today, and may we believe and have life in his name. Amen.